I'm just always left with more questions than answers, right? So if it's a pack of wolves, it's not a pack of beavers, right? It's a den of beavers. A den of beavers? I don't know. Or is it just a family of beavers? And then I'm like, but it doesn't apply to birds because birds, like, it's like a flock of birds, but not all birds because I've never heard of a flock of penguins. Is it a pack of penguins? Is it a herd of penguins? Do penguins just not have something? And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's just flightless birds. But then, like, what is it? Is it a herd no, of it's ostriches? A gag- it's a gaggle of geese, and it's a murder of crows. Well, that, that'd be... Is it a murder of bears? That's terrifying. What if bears no. all came together? <laughs> you know what I mean? I think... I don't think bears pack up. <laughs> but if they did... We'd know. <laughs> that we'd would be terrifying. bears were packing up. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I just, it just, you just keep going down that rabbit hole. Like, okay, it's a rabbits. herd. What was a herd of rabbits? Is it a murder of rabbits? That's scarier hole. than Maybe a murder it's a of bears. A hole of rabbits. A hole? I've never. Heard, I don't think a hole is one at all. I'm just saying. I'm always left with more questions. That's why I didn't sleep last night. That's why. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to the Back to Basics podcast. Uh, I'm Chris Seitz, and I'm here with my brother Jason Seitz. I'm an emergency physician. Jason's a firefighter paramedic, and we and nurse. And we like to talk about medical topics, but bring them back to basics for you to keep them simple. Uh, so today we're actually excited. We want to announce, so we're going to sponsor ourselves today with our Guardian Test Prep Program. So if you're studying for the NREMT exam, uh, check out our uh, prep program and question banks at uh, guardiantestprep.com. We are offering a discount code for those of you who listen to our podcast. So if you need that prep course, uh, help you pass the National Registry, we have, again, like a 94, 97% pass rate at this point. Uh, People are having a lot of success with it, which we're excited about. So the discount code is basically, it's back to basics 10, but it's going to be the letter B, the number two, the letter B, one zero. Back to basics 10. The letter B, T-H-E-L-E-T-T-E-R, B-E-E, the letter B. No, 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 no. Oh. That's not the discount code. No, it's the letter B. Bravo, the number two. Tour, Bravo. Tour. I don't know what. What are the codes I think it's for just two. niner? And when you say nine, but anyway, two, twosies. Again, twinsies. it's B. The number two B one zero. It's three characters. It's five characters. It's five characters. Because there's a one. No zero. one's gonna use Why this code. Why did you add the one zero? Ten. It's ten percent off. Oh. Did you just do that? Because like right before we started filming, you said yeah, it was going to be B to B. Yeah, it just seemed too okay. short. All right, so I'll anyway. get it done. You should probably look in the link to this podcast to because we'll put it there because <laughs> this no longer makes any sense. So, all right, today's topic. You've been waiting for it. It's a hot summer day. Burns. I'm calling this podcast too hot to handle. Oh, I like that. Burn basics. I like it. I like it. Oh, I like it. Catchy. Very nice. So we want to talk about a few things. We want to talk about. How you get burnt, why you get burnt, <laughs> where you get burnt, and when you get burnt. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about how you get burnt, really what a burn is, why it's probably the worst trauma that you can run into, um, how to treat it, and how the pathophysiology of a burn works. So like what's happening to your body when you're burning and then how that repairs so we can kind of understand better how to treat Absolutely. And I like with a lot of the stuff that we talk about, as you guys know, I mean, understanding that pathophysiology and taking it back to that basics is what then makes the treatments make so much more sense. And burns can be really tricky. One, because they the pathophysiology can be a little complicated, but we'll go over it. But two, because the recommendation on treatments for burns has changed quite a bit, even over the last like five, 10 years and continues to change. So again, there are some I think mean, key things to know about the treatment of burns that if you understand it well, you won't go wrong and you won't get confused when you hear about all these 
different potential modalities and formulas and things like that. So I had a that. doctor, a burn doctor come into my department and give us a training about a year ago. And we told him what our current protocol was on burns. And he said, oh, no, don't do any of that. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not kidding. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, we have to do this. Like, this is like state and county law. Like, and he's like, no, please don't do that. And I was like, no, like you, you're the one who has to like get involved in the protocol. He's like, well, I wouldn't know how to do that. I'm like, you're invited to all the protocol stuff. Like, <laughs> right. what do you mean? So, yeah. It's and that's important. where it can get confusing. Because again, there is, there has been a lot of changes and Again, what doesn't change typically is the pathophysiology, right? Like if you under, I mean, we might understand more and more about it, but the pathophysiology doesn't change. So understanding the pathophysiology and then seeing all the different recommendations out there on how to treat burns when it comes to fluids and how much, again, the, those nuances become less critical if you understand what we're treating and how we're treating it and why and what outcomes we're looking for. And I purposely sense. am kind of piggybacking, uh, this, is a, this is a pun because I'm piggybacking it off of our IV fluid hydration um, oh, podcast. Piggybacking our, fluids? Like our, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So our fluid administration podcast, when we talked about rapid fluid administration and high volume fluid administration and then just generally the issues that we have with fluid administration, why we're nerved out about it, what fluid overload looks like. We mm -hmm. went over that in our previous podcast. That's, I think, a lot of the reason why burn trauma treatment can get kind of complicated because it does have to do with a critical patient, you know, who's in, in major shock, dramatic shock, and now we're using fluids, and that's yeah. kind of where we run into issues. So yeah, I'm trying yeah, to yeah. kind of marry those two topics together. And I like it. Ivy piggyback them off of Here's each other. Here's a question for you. Is it a pack of pigs? Is it a herd of pigs? Is it a flock of pigs? No, I think I know this. What is it? I don't know. I don't know. Is it a murder of pigs? I I mean, you put murder in anything. It's <laughs> I a little think it's bit. just a pig. I don't think they... They're just loners? Yeah. Solo pigs? All right, so let's start with the different types. You're thinking about it now. See, I can yeah, see it. I don't, yeah, I'm trying it's to think confusing. Because in the, so in, the, in the Bible, when Jesus cast the demons out into the pigs, I uh -huh. think it just says the pigs. Does it say the herd of pigs? I'm going to look it up. The Bible uh -huh. would be able to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should check the Bible for sure. Okay. okay. All right. Well, anyway, let's talk about the types of burns to begin with. Obviously, there's thermal burns. That's that's the one. Heat. When we think about burns, we think about thermal burns, which is heat, right? From mm -hmm. fire and the sun and other hot things technically the sun would be radiation burns it's still thermal it's heat it's still thermal yeah it's still heat so but like i said we categorize the thermal burns and then the other ones we're going to talk about briefly here chemical burns and then electrical burns is there anything else we wanted to those are kind of the main the main categories kind of, yeah everything else would be like a subcategory of that so really, and the, the, the reason that we categorize burns into those three things is mainly because the pathophysiology of how that burn occurs and damages tissue is a little bit different in each. So the first, I mean, like, like, let's, let's actually talk about chemical and electrical really quick first because they're the ones that are a little bit different. And then we'll just kind of get into burns in general and where we think about thermal burns and talk about the different zones and degrees and things like that. So I think what is... First, what we have to talk about uniqueness of understanding the source of the burn is like the scene itself. Like, if we do take it back to basics, you got to understand like the scene safety of it. So, if you're if you are dealing with like an electrical burn or a chemical burn, like understand where the source is, make sure that the access to that source is you know you're safe from that source, right? So, especially with electrical, if we start with that, like make sure the source of electricity is turned off before you ever approach the scene. Like, mm -hmm. probably make sure yourself. I usually would tell my guys like, hey 
if, if you weren't the one to shut off the power or one of your crew, like don't take anyone's word for it. Sure. Yeah. No, I've smart. seen people thrown across the backyard from touching a fence because they said the power's off and then they go and yeah, they touch the fence, off. you know, it's not off. So electricity is invisible, mm-hmm. so you're not going to see it. <laughs> so right. make sure that the sources of those powers are shut off before you decide to render any aid. But what's unique about an electrical burn is that you'll typically, you could possibly have an entry and an exit wound when it comes to an electrical burn. Because electricity is always trying to find the ground, right? I mean, so you become that conduit. So, a lot, yeah, so basically, like, you could have an entrance and an exit, but really the path of the burn is where the electricity traveled, and that's internal, not necessarily external. That's the big nuance there with electrical burns. We, and we get very distracted with, if especially if there is an entrance and exit wound, oh my gosh, look at this. Because it'll look similar to like a ballistic wound sometimes. You'll have like a blown out, you know, mm-hmm. out, out the back where it blew out, right? Yeah. So you're distracted by that trauma or it looks very minor. You have a little pinprick hole where, you know, the electricity entered or whatever, or that area. And you're like, oh, okay, we're good to go. But there's so much trauma that was done internally and we can't track where that electricity traveled. Like you said, it's going to find the path of least resistance, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know where that is necessarily at that given time in the body. So, you know, that electricity could enter through your hand, but it could go up to your brain and, you know, down to your butt before it, it exits your body. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's going to flow through your body. There's a lot of potential internal trauma we're dealing with and a lot of issues with instability. Then we also have to consider, you know, what in our body runs on electricity, the heart and the brain, and the right? Brain. Yeah. The heart and the brain. Right. So like we're dealing with then like potentials for dysrhythmias with electrical injuries. We're dealing with potential interruption in brain function. So we have to be on the lookout for things like respiratory depression from an electrical stimulus and, weird dysrhythmias where we put them into a heart rhythm that's not quite fitting right that we need to maybe fix because of the electricity too so there's all these secondary factors which is why it's kind of important to you can't just be like oh burn injury i do this every time for burns right it depends on what type of burn it is and kind of what the mechanism of action or the mechanism of injury is right and having that index of suspicion right so if you know it's an electrical burn realizing that it's not just oh they've got a burn on their hand and they've got a burn on their foot because it came in here and went out there it's okay what about all the internal damage that could Again, when tissue dies, you get fluid shifts and things like that. So again, fluid becomes an issue, dysrhythmias like you talked about. So again, it's it's more than what meets the eye when it comes to the electrical burn kind of side of things. So the other thing too is you were talking about like kind of like shutting the power off again. One of the things with burns in general is stopping the burning process is the is the first key part. And it's kind of a segue into the chemical side of things, but it's like very simple that like if someone's being burned in a fire, get them out of the fire right like there seems it's but like there are other types of burn like the electrical side are you know, like did we shut the power off to make sure it's not going to happen again on the chemical burn side that's where we can get you know both powder like substances or liquid substances that can continue the burning process without us necessarily unless we stop to think about it realizing that that is still happening yeah right? the way we describe it in a lot of our first aid classes is you know, if you bur- if you have a thermal burn on like a pan, right? You touch a hot pan, you move your hand away. Your body naturally moves your hand away, and that hand might still be burning, but the source of the burn is gone, right? Mm-hmm. A chemical burn is like you touch the hot pan, you move your hand away, and you took the pan with you, right? So the, the burning process is still occurring, and also the source of the burning process is occurring as well. Mm-hmm. So our priority is going to be remove that source of the burn get the pan off of there, right? Get the chemical off of you. And then we might still deal with the burning process going on, you know, as it gets absorbed, but then we can move on to treatment and, and yeah. stabilization. One of the other things too, which interesting about, and it's just kind of a little side note here, but on, when it comes to electrical burns, it also depends on whether or not it's an AC or DC electrical source. 
because which is this is very interesting. Which one are we? What's that? Which one are we? A C and D C. Yeah, like t- typical. Like, um, is this a question you don't know the answer I to, don't... and I should just stop? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. What AC do you mean, or, like in terms of it, like a normal current, like a because there was a big argument between like Tesla and Edison, right? I think and it was AC versus DC, and we ended up going with Teslas. I think I someone's gonna get in the comments and get me. But yeah. we ended up going with it's not we should direct. Never talk about things we don't it's understand. alternating current versus direct current, and I think I'll look it up while you describe this. Yeah, I'll look it up. But basically, and, and the only reason I want to, knowing that's probably not crazy important, but basically, like there is AC versus DC. One of them causes you to get an electrical burn and like your muscles to like kind of like reflexively like spasm. The other one will cause muscles to spasm down and almost like you can have patients that like clamp down onto the source and continue to be electrocuted based on like, yeah, based on the current because the current will cause the muscles to spasm in a certain way where it'll cause you to clamp down versus kind of blow you away. Like you were talking about, right? That's why they say like, yeah, you grab a line and like, you don't, you know, you can't let go of it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So most of the world is wired for AC or alternating current. There we go. I think DC currents might be, Maybe more powerful electrical currents in general. So some high voltage DC lines or HVDC can actually deliver electricity with less loss than AC over a long distance. These lines can even allow multiple AC systems, such as Europe's 50 hertz and the United States' 60 hertz, to the same line. Completely irrelevant. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean obviously, I understand that. That works <laughs> right. forwards. But anyway, just something, too. something to realize that, like again, like we were talking about, like what is electrical in your body, like. In some ways, everything works on electricity. So your muscles are going to spasm in a certain way as well. But going back to the chemical side, so again, removing the source, and I think that's the important piece, like removing the you know burning source is super important. With chemicals, you have to be very cognizant of that because... You know, you need to do a full look. You need to take off the patient's clothes. You need to like, you know, hose them down tremendously if it's if it's a liquid. If it's a solid powder-like substance, brush off as much as you can before you. Really, the, as, when it comes to like chemicals, it's always just copious amounts of water. And one of the benefits, in order to like flush well, it away, unless it's an oxidizer, so you have to well, know the chemicals. So like, right. th- there are certain chemicals you add water, and guess what? Now it's burning. So. And as part of your scene safety, your scene size up, you do need to familiarize yourself with the chemical as best as you can. So if you have someone who's like working in a lab and they have, yeah, like there's general, if it's liquid, we tend to, you know, flush. But I've heard like even with oxidizers, like, and again, this is, not, I'm not advocating for this. You should you make sure you figure out. Is what you're saying. Once I'm saying, if you use copious amounts of water, like it flushes. Like, don't just like pour a yeah, glass of water in your head and now you've oxidized. Yeah. yeah obviously, you could like, have removed it in a different way. Right. So, but I guess I'm just saying like, if you don't, if you truly don't know, like you should look. Right, try to figure out what the chemical is. Don't sit there burning yourself though, and be like, "Let me pull out my encyclopedia." Right? On this yeah. Chemical. I mean, yeah. that might be a general rule. Like, if it's burning, like copious amounts of water is never wrong if you continue to use copious amounts of water. And one of the nice things about, you know, in the fire, fire paramedic field, you have quite a bit of access to copious amounts of water if yes. you need it. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. a lot it's of kind of one of the things you're really good set at. Up. Yeah, we'll use the engine to set up a whole flushing station for yeah. you. But like, I'll just preface this with like how about you just know the chemical that you're like playing around or whatever well, like, right right if you're working with a chemical like understand what the yeah. safety precautions are for that what you would need to do if it got in your eyes or if it there's got a whole hazmat side of this that you should pay attention to we can talk about in a different lecture but like do don't just have i guess to jason's point don't just have your default be like hose everyone down and that's just now your solution to burns so there's there's be better yes. <laughs> be better than that so okay so those two again a, a little bit 
you know, those two are a little bit different. Certain things we need to think about, again, the internal side, the internal side of the injury when it comes to electrical burns. And then with, you know, with chemicals, again, what type of agent, what type of burn? Because with chemicals too, there's two different types of burns you can run into. You can get basically ones that cause coagulative necrosis and ones that cause like liquefactive necrosis. And it depends on like their pH and, and whether they're like more basic or not. But the coagulation side of it basically burns the skin and down into the tissue, and that causes the vessels and the muscles and everything, the tissue that it touches, to coagulate. That's actually not bad because once it coagulates off, it almost that's almost becomes a protective scab or scar to that tissue a little bit. With liquefactive necrosis, where you get like an ongoing burning, I mean that's that's the stuff that literally like burns through tissue, bone, like it just never it stops. Eats through. It's it's like just continues. Blood. Yeah, it just keeps eating through things. So again, different types of chemicals are going to burn in different types of ways, um, but all burns are going to have kind of a more severe point in the middle and then expand out to less severe based on where the that burn is. Because the burn as as the energy transfers from the center point out kind of in a bullseye pattern right exactly so so that's basically like i said so those are the kind of nuances of the chemical and electrical side that you know we can dive much deeper into those at some point but when it comes to burn management in general just again removing that source and thinking about what type of burning could be going on know your burn know your burn yep so we can classify severity of burns and we can also classify like parts of a burn well there's right? a couple things so, so there's there's burn type right like and i'm not talking about like source type we talked about there's source type which we just covered or didn't because we decided not to do radiation but that's fine uh, but then there's there's the severity of the burn which can be measured a couple different ways based on its type and based on its you know effect on the body i guess if you will and then again yeah then the burn itself can have certain zones to it which are a part of that process as well so i think first what do you want to jump into first talk about type first types of burns so this is like what you guys have probably heard of when you talk about like first second and third degree burns right uh, we now call them superficial partial thickness and full thickness burns yep and i think that's good i mean i think in medicine, sometimes we like to say like type one, two, three, and like there's too many things that are type one, two, and right. three, we and it doesn't really, yeah, and it doesn't really give you a sense of what that pathophysiology is. So I like the definitions that we're using now of like superficial, partial thickness, full thickness. That's good. And then also, you don't know like if the a... numbers are going up or down, like DEFCON. You know, DEFCON one is the worst DEFCON. That's true. But but a type one burn, type one burn is not just sunburn. Superficial. Degree. Yeah. So superficial burns used to be called type one um are basically the again what what it's defining the superficial part of the skin so this is your epidermis right for the most part so this is a burn to your epidermis this is what you get when you get a bad sunburn right epi meaning on top dermis meaning your skin right dermal layer so the very top layer of your skin right exactly so it's already dead cells yeah exactly so when you burn that obviously like you said you can get you know burned in the sun and that outer layer might peel right like if you've got a bad sunburn and it peels like that outer layer might peel but you're not getting any breakage in the integrity of the skin the protective layer of the skin you're just burning that that superficial layer now it can be very painful because there's a lot of nerves in the epidermal part of your skin i mean your skin's literally meant to sense things so when you burn it those nerve endings are so sometimes those superficial burns may hurt more for your patients than deeper burns because we're basically burning where the nerve endings are mm-hmm. and this is really the only burn we we talk about like in, when it comes to like first aid or uh, emergency management of burns that like it's okay to like cool these a little bit with like tepid water 
just because usually our big concern with cooling um, people with, with pain, like using, using not ice, but using like water or anything to cool them down to reduce the pain and the inflammation. Usually that's an issue with burns. If you have like a lot of exposed tissue, because your skin is your, it's your thermal regulator, right? So when we have a lot of your thermal regulator gone, we can rapidly cool the body if we're not careful. But since superficial burns are superficial and they're not covering, obviously, like the entire body, we can cool this with water. Like You, you can dump yeah, water I, on this and, and reduce inflammation and pain. Right. If I burn my hand on a pan, I can run my hand under, like, you know, not freezing cold water probably, but, like, you know, like tepid, cooler water to cool that off. But even on the superficial side, again, and we'll talk about it because when we talk about minor, moderate, and severe, like we start to talk about like body surface area. If I, I've seen people who have had such bad sunburns over their entire back and chest and arms that you have to be careful because if you start to cool them down, I mean, they actually can get hypothermic just from even a superficial burn because of the, the amount of tissue covered, right? So you got to kind of consider that too, like the amount of tissue covered, which we'll talk a little bit about in a bit here. But so superficial burns, again, affecting the epidermal layer, um, less severe, you know, in terms that we're not disrupting a lot of the mechanisms of the skin, right? So what does the skin do? It causes thermal regulate. It regulates the temperature of your body. It provides a barrier to the entry of bacteria and pathogens and things like that. Um, what else? Hair. Okay. Well, no, hair well, yeah, is a big yeah, part of, yeah. I mean, it has more to do with right, right. temperature and fr- yeah, yeah. friction, right? right. Um, and then again, it, you know, for maybe this is back back to two basics but like keeping things in and keeping things out right i mean like it's like you know keeping in when we talk start talking a little bit here about like fluid shifts and stuff like your skin provides that layer of protection to keep things where they need to be right we use it to excrete yep yeah i'm just trying to say like superficial burns aren't going to interrupt those you know those mechanisms that right. the skin provides gotcha, so. Gotcha. so partial thickness burns or second degree burns mm-hmm are going to involve the epidermis, obviously. Everything's going to be like this and this, right? So the epidermis, so it's a, it's also a superficial burn. And then some of the dermis, usually the, the top few layers of the dermis. Um, and this will usually be obvious based on blistering. So if you have blistering, which is basically dead... Um, dead cell parts kind of gather up fluid rushes to that area and then it creates a blister to kind of hold those dead cell parts while it works to heal the surrounding area if you have blisters second degree burn or or a partial thickness burn and an easy way to remember this is that like fluid should stay inside your body so if you're seeing bubbles of fluid outside your body you clearly burned past that first layer right right? i mean like like so basically like superficial burns you're seeing that red kind of hot feel Again, to your point, partial thickness burns. Now we're beyond that layer and we're starting to see the blister side. And we've literally like killed areas of our skin. That's why that blister forms, right? Fluid mm-hmm. rushes there to try to heal and restore. And then we pocket those dead areas, you know, together so that we can heal that area. Now you'll grow it back. It's not like necrosis of, you know, heart tissue or brain tissue, but you have had some some death of tissue there right because you've, you've penetrated too and again deep. when we talk about you know like you know on one spot of your arm getting a blister there again can be can be painful the body obviously protects that by kind of encasing it in but if you're talking about more areas of your body that becomes again more severe and we'll talk about that in a minute here too, and you but. can you know we said superficial oh that's like a sunburn well i mean you can i've, I've had sunburns where i've blistered before you mm-hmm. know you can get very severe you know second degree or, or yeah. partial thickness burns from from the sun so just remember your source versus the type of burn right right and then obviously the third type is going to be your like kind of like 
full thickness. Full thickness burn. So this is now we're getting past the dermis. So we're getting into like even like muscle tissue, things like that. Like, and this is going to be you're going to kind of see what we call like an eschar, which is like this is where you start to see like the blackening of the tissue because again the body's kind of coagulating. You're doing those deeper muscles and blood vessels and things. You get like a waxy substance that mm-hmm. kind of appears, and that's. Yeah, you, yeah, you see kind of like a waxy appearance to it as well. And that's the thing, too, is in the beginning, you, I mean, like there's there's burns where you can see the deep tissue, right? Like it's burned through. And then there's burns where, you know, the deep tissue is affected, but everything is at this moment still intact. So when you're looking at an arm that is, you know, red and you're thinking first degree versus, you know, or I won't say first degree, sorry superficial versus partial thickness you start to see that blistering okay partial thickness but again if you're looking at an extremity that's like almost waxy appearing then you start to start consider is this burn a lot deeper and that's going to start to if you think about if the partial thickness allows for blisters to form on the superficial side of you know the skin that we can see those full thickness you're going to start seeing the same type of fluid shifts but deeper internal trauma yeah so this in a very short period of time can start you start can can start to see swelling of the limb and extremity and really develop almost like a compartment syndrome as well if you're not careful. Yeah, especially in the in the limbs. Um, they talk about something you might hear like in, in older books or you might hear in, in like ER doctors speak, people talking about fourth degree burns. Um, yeah. That's yeah. really like if we talk a little bit more textbooks wise, like a little more scientifically, like there, there's not... Sometimes we use fourth degree to describe a severity of a third degree burn, okay? But, like, it doesn't get any worse than full thickness burn. So if you're talking about, like, the original three degrees, like, superficial, partial thickness, full thickness covers the three burns you can. It's just that full thickness, you could have the epidermis and all of the dermis burn. You could have the epidermis and all of the dermis and some of the muscle tissue and some of the bone tissue burned. You could have all of it burned through. Like, those are – obviously, there's some – flexibility and severity within that designation so if you start hearing people say things like fourth degree burns it's not an actual definition that yeah. we that we really use in curriculum right anymore and then they and and some people i've seen even in some textbooks and some literature they'll break down partial thickness into almost like superficial part like in like deeper so like but again don't confuse don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. like don't confuse the sense that like it starts at the top and it goes deeper, right? I mean, like, so I think when you're, that does bring up a good point because we are defining and sometimes texts and things will define burns differently. And maybe you're talking to a ER physician who's 70 versus an ER physician who's 30. I mean, like, so I think it, you have to describe burns in more than just like, it's a partial thickness burn. I think you have to say it appears to be a partial thickness burn based on, and then give the evidence, right? Based on I'm seeing blistering, blah, blah, blah. Like, so like give more in, in your report and even in, you know, in your documentation to qualify that as, you know, why you're giving it that, you know. And if we start getting into the nuances of, uh, oh, it's a, it's a partial thickness, but it's a superficial partial thickness. That's that's something that like a burn doctor is going to do after like studying this patient a little bit, right? Like our job in the field is to be able to recognize easy emergencies where we can go, okay, here's what we do, you know, A plus B equals C, yeah. right? And so, even in the emergency department setting, we're not changing. I mean, like we, we can define things however we want, but are we changing our resuscitative efforts or treatments in the acute emergency setting, like no, with, you know, so that, so just keep that in mind as well. So that talks about the types of burns, right? So we have superficial, partial thickness, and full thickness. Now we have to talk a little bit about severity of burns. Now we typically will categorize severity of burns based on, we'll say, minor, moderate, and major. 
Okay, and what's weird is we have to use what's called TBSA in this, or total body surface area that's affected, in order to calculate whether something's minor, moderate, or major. So you can have um, an area that has like third degree burn. I'm sorry, I, full thickness burns. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and that can still be semi-minor or moderate because it's in a very small area. But if you have, like you said, if you have a sunburn, you have a superficial burn that's all over your body, well, that's going to increase the severity of that burn because of how much of your total body surface area is affected, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So first, let's kind of talk about how we calculate TBSA. And really quick, too, like, like also keep in mind that like if you have a third-degree burn... You also have a second and first degree right, outside of that, right? Because like you don't just, you know, it's not like there's a third degree burn and then right outside of that tissue, the, the tissue is fine, yeah. right? Like there obviously is going to be outside of that second degree, outside of that first degree. It just and we that's what we call that bullseye pattern, right? You'll have right. third degree in there, and then you'll have as the heat transferred out or as the energy transferred out, you'll right. have partial thickness, and then finally, uh, superficial. Yep, on absolutely. The edges. Right. So, I think with TBSA. When it comes to especially like using like the National Registry and stuff like that, they're going to want defined ways that we calculate TBSA. And there's really there's two major ways we do it. There's the rule of nines mm-hmm. and then there's the rule of palms. Mm-hmm. Now, the rule of palms is where things get a little bit weird, <laughs> but the rule of nines is pretty straightforward. So how it's calculated is that every one of your limbs is nine percent of your body. No, that's not true. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, because the legs are nine on oh, each side. They're eighteen. Yeah. So it's it's always dividends of nine, but not really because your crotch is one one, right? So it's it's weird. But anyway, your basically your torso is eight. Your front of your torso is eighteen. The back of your torso is eighteen. Each upper extremity is nine total. So the total. front is four point five, and the right. back is four point five. So, and you have to know this because they'll try to trick you. They'll be like. I, won't, I shouldn't say trick you, but they'll say, like, the front of your forearm is burnt. And you have to be like, okay, well, that's like half of my arm, one side of it. So half of 4.5. You know, 2. you, 2. Have, 2. you 5, have to right. start getting kind of weird with that. So um, anyway, upper extremities are 9. Lower extremities are 18. Front and back are 9. Uh, front of your torso is 18. Back of your torso is 18. Uh, and your head is? 9 total. 9 total. 4.5 in the front, 4.5 in the back. Okay. And then your crotch is 1% to make up the total 100% of your yep. body. Now, it is worth saying, too, when we're talking about quality of life and things like that, like we always take burns to the hands, to the face, or to the groin very, very seriously. That'll t- typically up your priority, even if only 1% of their body is burnt, but it's their crotch. That obviously is going to affect uh, major quality of life, right? So well, we that, usually up that in priority. That That's immediately very... becomes a major burn. So if they have any burn to their face, eyes, ears, genitalia, or joints, joints are another one that you have to be considered. Like if you're like somehow burned both your knees, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that immediately bumps them to major because again, of that quality of life piece, right? Like obviously like my outcome, if I have scarring to the face or the genitals and then the joints too, if you think about it, I mean, if you start to get you know, deep burns to joint tissue, those joints can be destroyed forever. And that really changes how you can move, right? So, I mean, like it's a quality of life type issues immediately bump you up to major. Okay, so that's that's the rule of nines. Now what we do is we start to get into, okay, well, what if a piece of my torso is burnt, right? Like what if my, like, my right pectoral is burnt, right? That's where we start getting into the nuances of the rules of the rule of palms. So what we do is we say that the patient's palm... Not your palm. Yeah, not your palm, (laughs) because you might have a smaller patient, right? Or a larger one. But the patient's palm is about equal to 1% 
of and their body their surface palm, area. Don't include their fingers. This is something I didn't realize. I was thinking like a whole hand. I was putting like a whole hand. Oh, no, like one percent. That's like two palms. Right, it's like, like two palms. palms. Right. So the actual palm of your hand is one percent. Right. So they they usually, from my experience, they don't mess around with the rule of palms too much with the National Registry because that that's a little bit ambiguous, right? Or they'll tell you like there's two palm size, whatever. You know what I mean? That they right. make it a little bit more obvious. But the rule of nines, like for me at least, when I took it, I took it twice. It popped up quite a bit, and I, I do hear students talking a lot because you'll have to use the rule of nines to calculate TBSA to calculate the severity of a burn, and then you'll have to use the Parkland burn formula for treatment, which we'll get to that. But that is heavily reliant on percentage of TBSA. And the, you have to understand, too, why we're trying to figure this out, right? Like, we're not just trying to figure it out because we want to be able to say the percentage. Like, categorizing things into minor, moderate, and major is research-based and basically helps dictate where that patient eventually needs to go. Like patients with minor burns can be treated a little bit differently and in a different facility than people with moderate or major. And like as we get into those, now those aren't decisions you're going to make in the field. And even I'm probably not going to make many of them. Well, I may in the emergency department because again, if I'm going to transfer to a burn center or I'm going to, you know, like there's those decisions are based on the research showing outcomes. So like I said, people with, and this is an example, but like people with moderate and major burns treated at a burn center are, have, you know, 20% better. I'm making these numbers up, but this is like, we're not just saying this for the sake of saying it. Think about like, you got to know the why behind it too. Yeah, so the data you're collecting is going to influence the decision. So it's important that you get it right. Yeah. So let's just uh, spell it out for them. If you have less than 10% TBSA burn, in adults right <laughs> or less than five percent tbsa burns in young children or the elderly or less than two percent <laughs> of a full thickness burn okay so right. typically any type of burn tbsa burn you have less than 10 percent we're going to call it a minor, minor. right okay. a minor burn we're going to drop that down to five percent for young children and the elderly, because the they obviously elderly. they already yep. have thermal regulation and infection yep. risks. And then, if however, if you have a full thickness burn, that is like two percent ish, that's going to make a minor two. Right. Exactly. Because again, you have, you have to take both in consideration. Right? So we're looking at total body surface area and the severity of the burn at the same time, and then trying to categorize it, categorize it as minor moderate and major which is going to help us make treatment and disposition decisions right so again so minor burns you usually say less than 10 percent moderate burns 10 to 20 percent and major burns are greater than 20 percent of total body surface area that's when we're talking about adults so let's also think about obviously those numbers somewhat cut in half when you're talking about children right because they need Oh, that's more so support. much a better way to say it. Right. Let's just cut what I said and let's just say what you said. Say that one more time. <laughs> okay. So minor is less than 10%, moderate is 10 to 20%, and uh, uh, major is greater than 20% total body service area in adults. When we're talking about children... Or elderly. Or elderly people who uh, obviously elderly. have more difficult with thermal regulation and more predisposition to infection just because their immune systems and stuff, we're just going to cut it in half, right? So minor is going to be less than 5%. Moderate's going to be the five to ten percent, yep. and then major's going to be anything greater than ten percent when it comes to children. Then we also have to take in consideration other things that can predispose to again the infection and issues with thermal regulation. So if you have medical problems like diabetes, sickle cell anemia, 
you're currently being treated for cancer, we're probably going to bump you to moderate just based on no matter what your burn level is, unless it's major, even if you have minor burns, less than 10%, but you have these predisposing factors that can increase your risk of infection and things, we're going to bump you to moderate, right? And then again, thinking about on the major side, any burns to your face, genitalia, hands, joints, things like that, we're going to immediately just put you to major. So you got to think about like quality of life and other risk factors for then inju- injury to. too. If you have injury with burning, yep. that'll bump you to major. Right. So if I like time. also broke my femur and have I have burns, like again, I'm going to be a bad day. It's a bad really day. bad day. But you got to think about it. Like let's say you were like in a burning building and you jump from the third story just because you're on fire and then you break both your legs. Right. Like, okay. Major. Yeah. Right. I think just that story should make you major. Yeah. I mean, like Even if you didn't like have any burns and didn't somehow didn't break your right. legs, I just feel like you. Like, just... We can keep defining common sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So. Okay. Cool. So again, and the reason we're trying to, so when we're, when we're putting this together, we're trying to say, okay, what degree of severity is the burn itself? Is it superficial, partial thickness or full thickness? And then based on that, based on that injury, are we considered a minor, moderate or major, you know, burn victim? Because that's going to help us with treatment and and not predisposition and disposition. Right. Okay. Awesome. So all of that is just to talk about how we classify burns. We haven't right. really gotten into like treatment or really like what a burn is yet, but all of that was just to classify. So you can see it's a pretty complicated topic, which is why we wanted to break it down, right? So we use location, we use the source of the burn, we use how much you're burnt, and we use how serious that burn is to classify like the type of burn emergency that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. We also have to, we got to consider type, location, amount, and then the comorbidities. We have to consider those comorbidities. But now let's talk about burn pathophysiology so we can understand why we choose the treatment that we choose for it. Sure. So the first thing we got to kind of understand is the burn zones. We have three zones, the zone of coagulation, the zone of stasis, and the zone of hyperemia. Can you explain those? Yeah. So, I mean, and again, like this is kind of goes back to the general statement I made about like if you have a third degree burn in the middle, you're going to have a second degree burn outside of that and a first degree burn outside of that. And another way to kind of define that is with any burn, you're going to have zones in a similar fashion. So the zone of coagulation is where the most damage has occurred. Again, like I said, the, the vessels and things are coagulating. Now, this can't really happen in a first degree, or sorry, I keep saying first degree, in a superficial burn. There's not really like a zone of coagulation in a first degree burn, right? This is going to be more partial thickness or full thickness burns. So you're going to have a zone of coagulation where literally the vessels and the muscles are being damaged. So they're coag- even the dermis, right? So the, the, the body's coagulating that area to tr- try to protect that burning process from continuing to farther out into the tissue when we talk about coagulation we're always referring to like clumping of things right so it's like all of these different tissues that are normally very separate delineated things have kind of like mixed melted together you could say into like its own blob right Right. and that's a good thing in terms of we want to get that blob formed and then like basically like quarantine it right right and which makes sense because then outside of that is the zone of stasis so stasis means that things are not moving so outside of that we don't have a lot of fluid moving around or doing anything because we pushed everything into the middle and tried to wall that out off basically in the, in the zone of coagulation and then outside of that we have the zone of hyperemia which is just you know like think about it just almost like kind of just like warm skin right like it's a zone of like like the heat has been transmitted out that far but again we're we have that area which has some superficial damage to it 
and then outside of that would be normal tissue again, right? So these three zones, just as you think about it, like the zone of coagulation, the zone of stasis, the zone of hyperemia, starts to actually kind of affect how you look at total body surface area a little bit, right? Because if I have 10% of my body where I see a third degree burn, is my burn actually more like 15, 20% depending on, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, so you just have to think about the fact that that, and really all this to say that that burning process, you know, continues out, right? So you just have to think about the fact that there's where you see the initial burn, there is going to be areas outside of that that have some type of damage or some type of pathophysiology occurring as well. The other thing that we talk about in terms of like pathophysiology is, is burn shock. And I know that we've talked a lot on this podcast about shock and how it can be very hard to define. And there's lots of different ways to talk about it. But really, when we think about burn shock, we're dealing with a couple types of shock, all like those pathophysiologies are kind of all mixing, right? So the first one is, is cardiogenic shock, right? So we have issues with the pump. Why? Well, if we had an electrical burn, it, it could be an electrical issue that's causing a cardiogenic shock, right? But why would our pump be interrupted uh, from a burn? I'll answer that question <laughs> because <laughs> we're dealing with the vessels, right? And, and the pump. So if we are eating away, depending on where the burn's at, if we're eating away at our pump itself and we have fluid shifting, we now have issues with the pump becoming either backed up or not having enough, right? So the pump is going to now overwork itself. It's going to start beating very fast because we're hypovolemic and we start running into issues there, right? And it's it can a, very much interrupt with. And the reason I pause there for a second because it's, it's a... I don't want to confuse it, but it's almost a version of cardiogenic shock. Because, like, typically when we talk about cardiogenic shock, we talk about, like, a pump problem. Like, the pump's not pumping well enough because there's a problem with the heart. In this case, the pump's not working properly because of issues with preload and afterload. So, you know what I mean? It's not that the heart itself is necessarily has an injury or a problem at this moment, but it, it does because of preload and afterload issues. Right. Does Which gets into distributive shock, right. right? So it's not that... It's not necessarily that we have a lack of fluid. We have the fluid isn't in the right space, right? right? Because we have fluid that's shifting out of the vessels and it's going to those areas in order to cool and heal, right? Mm -hmm. So like when we talk about zone of coagulation, it takes fluid to coagulate things. When we talk about the, uh, the zone of hyperemia, we're going to have like fluid flush to that area in order to start creating a barrier and healing that area and trying to work on and fight infection, right? right, right. So whenever we have those fluid shifts, just like if we have hundreds and hundreds of microtraumas, like we have fluid shift to those areas, well, it's out of the vessels now, which then makes me hypovolemic, right? And we might be hypovolemic anyway because we're burnt and we've dried up a bunch of the actual water. Well, that's the thing. Like hypovolemic can come from when you lose that epidermal layer that protects you from loss of fluid and like all of a sudden like said through just normal mechanisms of the body you're going to leak fluid i mean like your body just can you're not getting it back like right. usually with like distributive shocks like we can get that fluid back to the um to the intravascular space if we need to by giving certain medications or shifting fluid or but like you're not going to get that back it, mm -hmm. it, it flowed there it's stuck there now it's trapped you're not going to get it so you're kind of dealing with this like mixture between cardiogenic hypovolemic and distributive shock 
um, which is going to be concerning. But we're going to treat it like we treat shock, right? What's our biggest problem? Fluid, fluid, fluid. We need to get fluid. We need to charge the system so that we can perfuse. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the thing too. Is like when we say burn shock, really what it is is it's it's burn has its own specific pathophysiology that we're speaking of that you can see how like there is a version of cardiogenic distributive and hypovolemic shock all kind of coming together in this pathophysiology. To, you know, and we just name it burn shock because it's kind of specific to that. There's nothing else that I can think of that like really brings a version of each shock into kind of one general clinical picture but burn shock does do that it's just what makes burns complicated right so but again it's also simple in the sense that especially in the acute setting what is the no matter what kind of shock you have what is the def, like what do you do with shock you give fluids right like i mean like especially in the acute emergent setting now the question becomes how much fluid how fast and for how long and that i don't know if i will be i will like be honest and say i don't know if we have the answer to that in medicine in general because that's the piece that keeps changing so this is where we use the parkland burn formula uh, that, that's kind of the standard right now and that could you in 10 years you could see this very much change well, but the parkland burn formula is helps emergency providers in the acute setting give the first 50 percent of fluid that we need to give probably overall and that's where like i told you guys that this doctor like was like oh no i don't really want that but he wasn't really necessarily correct because he's thinking more as a clinician when he's in there he doesn't realize that like the emergency that we're seeing and the emergency that he's seen is a very different they're very critical moments and they're very different situations and i would also encourage you guys like if you haven't listened to our last podcast on fluid resuscitation just take a listen to it because especially in the acute emergency setting we're going to start with fluids right the question is how much how fast and these things are still being debated in literature but we have some general guidelines we can follow that have been used for quite a while and are continuing to be used at least for now and it is based on our calculation of the total body surface area right so based on our calculation of the total body surface area burned we have certain formulas we can use to calculate basically our our initial fluid resuscitation approach so the most the most popular one used you you might hear of the Parkland burn formula. What that basically is is it's it's four milliliters of fluid mm-hmm. times the percentage of TBSA burnt. So mm-hmm. that we'd have to use the rule of nines and the rule of foams to calculate that times the patient's weight. The patient's weight in kilograms. In kilograms divided by. Two. Well, so technically, so you want to give, you, you calculate that. That's how much fluid you're going to give in the first 24 hours. You want to give 50% of that fluid in the first eight hours and the second 50% in the second 16 hours. Right. Okay. So right. what we do is we do the weight times TBSA times four divided by two to calculate what we need to give in the first eight hours. And that's what you just start doing. And it's typically, you know, I don't want to say rapid fluid bolus, but we're going to get large bore IVs bilaterally if we can, depending on where the burn area is. Obviously, we're not going to stick a needle in some area that's burnt, and we're going to start flowing this fluid because it's a lot of fluid that we have to put in. And I think a um, good rule of thumb, too, is to even then take that 50% number and divide it by eight because you don't have to give that in the first hour. You have to give that in the first eight hours. So again, like there has been a lot of literature that you know, like there's, there's always going to be questions, right? There's always gonna be like, well, is that the best formula or is, or should we do it? Who knows, right? Like we, we may change it. We may not. Some doctors maybe already are recommending against it. Some are using it. That being said, you have to start somewhere. So in an emergency acute setting, and especially probably based on your protocols in EMS, the bark and burn formula is probably one that you're going to need to become familiar with, but then realizing that again, that's to be given over eight hours. So 
we need to then know that how much volume we need to have an idea that we're going to be giving and then not just give it and walk away, right? I mean, we always talk about this again, taking it back to basics. We need to start giving the fluid and monitor the patient, right? How are they responding to that? Are we seeing a stabilization of blood pressure? Are we seeing, you know, heart rate stabilize? Are we seeing mental status? I mean, like all these things that we normally measure, I mean, some recommendations are, you know, measuring the MAP, right? The mean arterial pressure. So like, again, we need to measure the outcomes of our fluid resuscitation and either pull back if we're seeing, you know, bad, not bad, but like, like worsening outcomes or add if we're seeing worsening outcomes. I mean, we got, we've got to play with that a little bit. And that becomes more of the art of EMS and medicine is that now some people may tell you, like this doctor told you, like, oh, don't, don't do that at all. Don't do that at all. Well, until you can replace it with something else, well, you got to do something. clear about something. Like we didn't listen to him, not because <laughs> right, we right. don't think that he's smart, but because like you are, it is dictated by protocols. There is 18 smart people that sat on a board that determined what the protocols were. And the right. protocols in this case were to use the Parkland bird formula in these situations, just because this one guy has a differing opinion. <laughs> well, opinion and, right then, and you know. he may be right, but until there's a protocol to replace the protocol, we're not just going to be like, well, I'm just going to give 20 liters of fluid because I think they need it or none. I mean, like we can't leave it up to chance either in that way. Right. So we got to base literature and research is always going to add more information and data and hopefully help us optimize protocols and procedures and formulas. But again, and we always talked about this in like BLS and ACLS and things like that too, until you have something to replace it with, go with what at least historically, the research has shown work. And you're part of the data collection to determine if there needs to be a change. Right, so do right. it how we're supposed to do it right now. Exactly to right. To figure out if that's, if that's working or not. Where you get in trouble, I think, and where patient outcomes suffer is when we don't follow any protocol because we've decided that, oh, well, Parkland burn formula is not ideal, so I'm not going to use anything. Well, we, you know what I mean? again, until it can be replaced with something that the data shows is better, let's do with what we have, right? So... so that's the major part of like shock treatment, right? That we're going to do because of burn shock. When we have serious burns, we have to deal with fluid administration. But there's there's simpler, you know, secondary factors that we should consider too, right? Like if I just burn a piece of my forearm, you're not going to be putting a fluid bolus in me necessarily unless it's a, a very severe burn, right? And we'd calculate that using the severity scale. Right. But if I have just general trauma wound care to the burn, what what sort of things am I looking at? Well, and again, going back to what the skin does, right? So there's thermal regulation, the two big ones. I mean, the skin does a lot of things like you pointed out uncomfortably by adding excretion and things when I asked you what the skin does. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hair and excretion. Hair and excretion, which helped no one. But no, talking about thermal regulation and fluid, right? Keeping fluid in and um, infection, right? It, that's what the skin does. So when we lose that, we we have to think about, again, supporting the body in those things now that they're that it's not working ideally. So thermal regulation, right? We need to be monitoring the patient's temperature and we need to be keeping the patient warm. Now, again, it seems counterintuitive because you're like, oh, they just got burned. Let's cool them off. Well, the risk there is hypothermia because we've lost our thermal regulation depending on the severity. So we need to make sure we're keeping these patients warm. The second thing is the infection side, right? Now that area is very much open to direct infection. So we need to make sure that we keep that area sterile, um, and again, we use kind of usually like sterile dry dressing on burns. Not wet dressing. And for some reason, your mind wants to tell you, let's use some wet dressing. But if you use wet dressing, what happens is it's just going to like um, basically adhere to the wound tissue. And then when you go to take that dressing off, it's going to like rip off all that scabbing and all that work. So it also can lend to hypothermia. Can, yeah, super cool them. So don't do that. Right. It also can lend to almost like now you if you've got areas that are coagulating stuff like that and you start soaking them 
now you can start getting tissue that's just With got bogged down. Yeah, and exactly, to, yeah. exactly. So you got to be careful with that too. So again, so dry sterile dressing to basically create a skin layer for protection to keep that area warm mm-hmm. and you know give you some thermal regulation as well. Right. Pain control. Right, we got to talk about pain control too, because some of these burns now deeper burns, you actually might find they don't have a lot of pain. Because but we know we burn in a bullseye pattern, so if you have a third degree burn, it's not like you're like, oh, painless, no big deal. The area surrounding that right. is going to be partial thickness, which yeah. is going to hurt a lot and superficial. And again, when we're treating that. patients and we're worrying about blood pressure and heart rate and things like that, we've got to treat their pain as well, right? That's going to decrease cardiac load and things like that. I mean, we need to treat their pain, so you got to think about pain control. Um, and then again. Think about the general, you know, cardiac and neurological support. And again, like that's, that's really why we're doing all the rest. We're not going to fix the burn. We're not going to replace the skin. The body's going to do that. Skin grafting, burn centers are going to take care of that. But we have to support, again, the cardiac and neurological status of the body, right? Through fluids, through pain control, through the things that we can do that we normally do. Oxygenation, if we yeah. have car- carbon monoxide poisoning because it wasn't you know, we, we have a fire situation, right? So they were in a fire. Yeah, they're burned and we're distracted by the trauma of that. But because of the, all the carcinogens in the air and because of the CO in the air, it's displaced their oxygen and now they're hypoxic. Well, I need to give them oxygen, right? We need to, we need to get them oxygen yeah. so we can oxygenate their whole body. We got to think of their body as a whole, not just get laser focused in and get the tunnel vision on, on the yucky injury that's right. in front of us, right? One of the things that I, I read once that I really liked is that it was like, assume every burn victim is also a toxicology case which is so true right carbon monoxide chemicals i mean like there's so like exposure i mean like there's you got to think about that because to your point right i mean like like, you know cyanide i mean like there's certain things that like in a fire that you're exposed to and we start treating the burn and don't think about the fact that they have inhalation injury and carbon monoxide poisoning and you know what i mean like stuff like that um so again, things that things that make sure you're thinking about your burn victims as toxicology victims as well until you at least have ruled it out. Again, if you don't think about it, you'll never find it. It's, you know that type of thing. So, well, I think that about covers it. We can wrap up real quick. Just quick yeah. review: burns come from hotness, thermal, <laughs> chemical, radiation. We didn't really talk about because we didn't <laughs> want to, and electrical. Uh, we calculate burn surface area to determine severity. Uh, we also need to know the burn type, like how deep it is, superficial, partial thickness, or full thickness. And then we treat burns uh, based on the location, the amount, the comorbidities, and the uh, and the type. And we treat it with fluids to stabilize the, the shock-like symptoms. And then we do basic wound care and protect them from secondary factors, which we just covered. Right. And then, yeah, and then, th- and then think about things like the toxicology side and the other, again, comorbidities right and it just doesn't have to necessarily be disease comorbidities that they suffer from that puts them at increased risk of infection and things it can also be what they were exposed to as a part of that you know burn issue type of thing so yeah awesome so again really quick if you want to get two things so if you want to get ce credit so capsi accredited for free for listening to this podcast please check out guardiancme.com uh, we have quite a bit of content on there from ourselves and some other uh, providers who are sharing our uh, our expertise and, and recordings so that you can get for, uh, free capsi credit so please sign up there and the other thing if you're studying for that national registry exam or know someone that is and you listen to this podcast share the discount code b letter b number two letter b one zero so b two b ten right so back to basics 10 is our 10 percent discount for listening to the podcast because we guys appreciate your support so much um as a caveat to that i'll add just like if you 
listen to this lecture and want to know a little bit more about the fluid resuscitation side of things, we did cover that in a previous episode. So I think it's one episode back, take a look. Um, and I think we kind of showcased life flow there as well. And some of the tools that you can use to administer fluids in a, in a appropriate and, and rapid fashion. So check that out if you get a chance. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next time. Stay sweet. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking a listen. Uh, if you are studying for the National Registry exam, we're here to help. We have a National Registry prep program uh, to help you pass that exam. Check us out at guardiantestprep.com. If you'd like continuing education credits uh, for listening to our podcast or watching this on YouTube, follow us at guardiancme.com. 100% free CAPSI credits. Uh, no matter what state or country you're in, uh, we're here to help. So again, we thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week. <laughs>